What's going on out there, Bulls Nation? I know you guys are feeling just as hyped as I am after that big win against the Brooklyn Nets. We got the Chicago Bulls 108, Brooklyn Nets 99. Another come-from-behind victory for the Chicago Bulls. Another game where the starters, you know, they came out a little slow. Not as bad as we've seen in other games. There wasn't a point where they were down, you know, more than 10 after the first. That was nice to see they are at least sticking with it, even when they weren't ahead. But still, it was looking pretty bleak for the Bulls, especially in that third quarter. I thought the game was kind of getting away from them a little bit. But they were able to rally and uh, pull it out. So, great game for the Bulls. I mean, anytime you can hold Kyrie Irving, who, say what you want about him, you know, the telecast, I think, covered all the off-the-court off the stuff with him. So, we don't need to hash out any of that with that clown. But... He is one of the most talented scorers in the NBA. He's averaging over 30 a game coming into this game. And the Bulls were able to hold him to four points. And his shooting tonight was atrocious. He was 2 for 12 and uh, 0 for 6 from 3. He didn't get to the foul line. That's that's huge when Kyrie Irving isn't getting to the foul line on you. So great game from the Bulls on that end. You know, anytime you're able to withstand this kind of game from KD too. You know, I said before the game... KD was probably going to go nuclear. So obviously the Nets fired Steve Nash before this game. I thought that was weird. I don't know if I've ever seen a team fire a guy the day of a game. You know, you just got a couple more hours to prepare without him. So that was weird timing, but I knew KD was going to come out with a point to prove, you know, because that's been his whole thing. He's been trying to spin this the whole offseason and into this year that it ain't his fault. It ain't Kyrie's fault. It's Steve Nash's fault. You know, he tried to get Steve Nash fired. That didn't work out so well. He demanded a trade. That didn't work out so well. So, And you got to wonder what the Nets are doing, man. I have a pretty close friend. He's a Nets fan. And we've been talking back and forth a lot lately because it just seems like a situation that needs to be blown up. But pertaining to the Steve Nash thing, like, what are y'all doing? KD asks you this summer to fire him. And you say, no, we're going to stand by Steve Nash. Only to fire him with seven games in the season? Like, that's... That's ludicrous. I don't understand the logic behind that. Not that Steve Nash was a great coach or anything like that, but y'all probably should have just fired him in the offseason. You would have made KD a lot happier. You would have had a better um, better pool of candidates to choose from if you would have just fired Nash right away after the season. Because I guarantee when they met with KD in his exit meeting right after they got eliminated from the playoffs, that was probably one of the first things he told them. He probably told them, we need to fire Nash. We need to get a new coach. If they just would have done that right then, they could have chose from better candidates. And, uh, I mean, they're getting Ime Udoka. That's going to be a wild, wild situation, right? Because we still don't fully know what happened in Boston. You know, there's rumors. You've seen ex-players like Richard Jefferson and Matt Barnes. They've come out. And they've been like, yo, we know what he did, and it's super fucked up. But it's we're not we're not at a place where we can talk about it. We'll just let it come out naturally. And it still hasn't come out. And... I think by one by the Celtics, the way they've handled this whole thing, and now that they're just cool with him going to a division rival with no compensation coming back their way, that to me indicates that it was something truly wild that Ime Udoka did. You know, the Celtics, this might be kind of a, a sneaky chess move on their part. They're like, yeah, we'll let y'all hire Ime Udoka, and as soon as y'all get on a little three, five game winning streak or something like that, then we're going to bust all the news. Uh, of what this dude really did and dude's gonna get canceled the NBA will be coming for the Nets heads it's gonna be a whole thing so buckle up because that situation is gonna be wild but it's just a weird Nets situation and watching their team you know they got some nice pieces I mean Royce O'Neal 
I didn't know he could score like this. I thought he could just play defense, and that was about it. He dropped 20 on us tonight. He was money from three all night, you know, four of six. That was uh, that was their most impressive player to me other than Kevin Durant. I've always been impressed by Nick Claxton. I think he's one of the perfect um, rim-running, shot-blocking, athletic big men in the league. I feel like he doesn't quite get used enough in Brooklyn and probably doesn't get enough shine for what he can do out there. But I've always been a Nick Claxton fan. And uh, who the hell is this Watanabe guy? I'm not even saying his name right. Uh, apologies to him, but I know he was on the Raptors for a couple years, and he's looking, you know, like that classic Toronto guy where nobody's heard of him. He goes to Toronto for a couple years, he cooks a little bit, understands their system, learns a couple things, and now he's on the Nets, and he looked killer in this game. You know, he made some big shots. He was by far their best defender out there. Um, so the Nets, I mean, don't sleep on them. This is a team we're definitely going to see again this year. Uh, we might even have to battle them in the playoffs. And when we do, I guarantee you Kyrie Irving is not going to shoot 2 for 12 the next time they meet. So the Bulls escaped with a nice win here. But let's rewind it a little bit. Let's break it all down. So coming into the game, we're missing Kobe White. And if, you know, at the start of the year you would have told me that Kobe White being out was going to be huge for the Bulls, I would have laughed because it just didn't seem like it. He doesn't see, He didn't seem like a real part of the Bulls' plan this year, but he's been great lately. You know, he had he had that 18-point game a couple nights ago. We've seen it where they're starting to let Kobe get in his bag a little bit more. You know, start of the year, they were just telling him to come in, shoot threes, and we've seen the last couple games, he's been able to come in, he's been able to penetrate off the dribble, he's been able to run the break, he's been playing the passing lanes. He's a really good rebounder for his size as well. And so we've seen a much bigger role for Kobe White. We've seen him be, been able to do a lot more. So him being out tonight was actually a pretty big punch for the Wolves or for the Bulls being out. Sorry, I confused them with the Wolves because the Wolves are playing right now. Um, but Kobe White missing the game, man, that's a pretty big hole for the Bulls to fill. And then Andre Drummond, you know, against the Spurs, I was hot. I was heated. I was like, how did Andre Drummond not finish that game? He outplayed Vooch by a mile. I don't understand. I thought the reason we lost the game, and I still think the reason we lost that game, is because they put Vooch back in over Drummond. But now this is two games Drummond has missed with this shoulder, so it might be something a little more serious than we thought. Hopefully we get him back soon, because against Brooklyn, we can get away with playing uh, DJJ at the five in spurts. We ain't going to get away with that against some of these other teams out east. So yeah, we need to get Drummond back healthy quick. Um, obviously, we're still missing Lonzo. Are we going to have to deal with this every national broadcast where they're going to bring up Lonzo in the first quarter, and then they're going to bring him up again in the third quarter? Like, we get it, dudes. Everybody knows Lonzo ain't playing this year. Everybody knows how important Lonzo is to this team. But we don't need to hammer at home like this. You know, every time that the Bulls are on, they're hammering at home. You can bring it up once. You know, if it's your first – I think this was Reggie Miller's first time calling a Bulls game this year. Sure, bring it up once, dude, but just – let it go. Leave it alone. Like We'll deal with Lonzo when we see Lonzo. We don't need to spend so much time talking about Lonzo. So Bulls were a little shorthanded coming into this game. And then the first quarter, you know, you saw them come out a little flat again, but not as bad as we've seen in, uh, in recent games. I thought the big difference and the reason that we didn't fall into that 10-point deficit in the first quarter that we've become accustomed to was Patrick Williams. Patrick Williams was aggressive tonight. Patrick Williams, part of the problem has been that he's been so comfortable just being a catch-and-shoot player. Tonight you saw him get in his bag. Tonight you saw him move 
uh, with the ball. You saw him taking dudes off the dribble. You saw him attacking the rim. You didn't just see him popping. And you saw him crash the boards. He had seven rebounds. This is the first time I've seen him get over three rebounds in forever. I think it's his first time this year getting over three rebounds. So Patrick Williams, 31 minutes tonight, 12.7 rebounds. Um, he had two blocks, one steal. His defense was superb. I mean, so Kevin Durant was scoreless in the first quarter. Patrick Williams checks out with about five minutes left in the first quarter. Kevin Durant proceeds to score 14, get himself in a rhythm. KD's one of those guys, once he gets in a rhythm, you're not going to stop him. So that was a mistake, letting uh, letting him breathe a little bit by taking Patrick Williams out the game. Because Patrick Williams was locking him out, and I called for that in my preview for this game, that Patrick Williams really has to bring it on the defensive end. And I thought he did a great job of that tonight. Um, he might, I mean, up until Zach erupted in the fourth quarter, I thought Patrick Williams was the best player for the Bulls on the floor tonight. But seeing him just come out with that aggressiveness, that's what we need. We don't need 20 points from him. We don't need all-star level offense out of him. We just need him to score in spurts and to be aggressive. Don't be comfortable just being a jump shooter. Take guys off the dribble, get to the hoop, crash the glass, and uh, just fly around on the defensive end. So one thing I noticed in the first quarter is you hear Stacey King bring it up on a lot of pod, or not podcasts, a lot of broadcasts that the Bulls need to look for Vooch when we're getting these switches and he has these smaller guys on him in the post. And Stacey is 100% right. But at the same time, Vooch needs to be more aggressive, man. We were getting him on these switches. There were at least 10 times we fed him the ball when he had Kevin Durant on him. Vooch has like 100 pounds on Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is like a 190 soaking wet. He is a scrawny dude. He has he has that deceiving strength where he's got, you know, he can dig his feet into the ground and you, you might have some trouble moving him, but Vooch should have no problem moving him in the post. And so many times, I mean, every time we dumped it down there to him, he did the same Vooch thing. He would take two to three steps, back the dude down. He'd be making way towards the hoop. He would either spin pump fake, they wouldn't fall for it, he'd have to throw it out, or he would just throw it right back out, like Vooch was not being aggressive tonight at all, so we can't be complaining that they're not looking for Vooch on these switches, when Vooch isn't taking advantage of these switches himself, you know, if you get that dude in the paint like that, you need to back him down, you need to score that ball, Kevin Durant is not a good post defender, Um, I saw him get switched on a lot of dudes who are not good post defenders, the Nets really don't have a good post defender. My friend I was talking about earlier who's a Nets fan, he told me Vooch was going to have like a 20-20 game today because Claxton's their best post option and he ain't a good post option when it comes to defending a big man like Vooch. Vooch was a letdown in this game. You know, he only went for seven points. He did have 15 rebounds, uh, but his shooting, you know, was atrocious. Three of eight and he should have taken way more than eight shots. And I thought on the defensive end, it was really discouraging what I was seeing from Vooch tonight on the defensive end. One of the things that uh, has been so promising for Vooch this year has been his defense. It's kind of gotten him a pass a little bit because there's a certain section of Bulls fans that don't want anybody talking shit about Vooch because they like what they're seeing this year because he has given so much effort on the on the defensive end. And I get that to an extent, but at the same time, Vooch has not been as good as some people are making him out to be. And tonight, you know, he was horrible on defense. He was out of position. Um, there was that play in the second quarter where they were running back, Joe Harris was open for three. Vooch didn't even try to close out on him. He just watched him shoot the three. He canned it. Um, then the very next possession, 
It wasn't Joe Harris. I'm forgetting who it was. It might have been Want to Be. Or no, it was uh, it was Duke Jr. He got the ball. Vooch this time, instead of not closing out at all, and Duke Jr. is not a shooter, so you didn't need to close out that hard on him. Instead of doing that, he did the exact opposite. He hard closed on him, and uh, Duke drove right by him for the easy layup. And Vooch was getting beat to his spot a lot tonight. You know, a lot of easy layups for the Nets tonight because Vooch was not... Not where he was supposed to be on the defensive end. So it wasn't a good game offensively for Vooch. Wasn't a good game defensively for Vooch. It was a good game rebounding for him. He grabbed 15 of them. So that's a bright spot for him. But in a game like this, man, you need Vooch to be a lot more aggressive. He's He was getting the switches, you know. It's like Stacey King always says, mouse in the house, free cheese. That means there's a small dude on him. It should be a free, easy basket for Vooch. He had those opportunities tonight. He only came away with eight shots. He should have shot about 16 to 20 of them things. He should have been feeding in the post, but he just wasn't doing it tonight. You know, lackluster Vooch game, and uh, we didn't really see the energy there from them. We saw Royce O'Neal totally take him out of uh, out of the game at the end there. You know, they had that little tangle up. At first, I was like, oh, Vooch is showing some fire. He got in Royce O'Neal's face. Let's go. And then the next possession, you saw Vooch try to prove a point through, uh, through that little bow Royce O'Neal's way. Got out of position, wasn't there for the entry pass, and uh, mentally Vooch was just kind of cooked from that point on. So it was uh, it was another sloppy game for the Bulls. You know how many mishandled passes did we see from the Bulls? You know there was that breakaway where Io hit the perfect bounce pass to Zach Levine. Zach Levine for some reason it bounced right off his hands. We saw Pat Williams have a couple mishandles. Um, even Demar seemed to be like he was struggling to handle and grab the ball early in the game. Just a lot of sloppy passes. On the Bulls part tonight. A lot of careless turnovers on the Bulls part tonight. And against a team like Brooklyn that has a propensity for self-destructing like this, you can kind of get away with it a little bit. But against these good teams, you know, giving up nine turnovers, that ain't going to fly. The Bulls got to be a lot sharper with the ball. And nine turnovers doesn't sound like a whole lot for a whole game. You know, most teams will average 10 or more. But it sounds like a lot when you realize that eight of them came from the starting unit and three of them were from Patrick Williams. Two of them were for Io, and Io's were just simple traveling calls. So the Bulls, you know, not their mentally strongest game coming out of the gate here. And then you saw the end of that third quarter. Um, Kevin Durant just went nuts. You know, he had 14 points in the last five minutes. I thought he was going to go for 50. He was going crazy. Luckily, they were able to get him a little more under control the rest of the game. He finished with 32, but Kevin Durant's really good, guys. Like, we we kind of forget about him a little bit when we discuss best players in the NBA. I don't think at this point he's top three even. You know, he might still be in the top five, might be four or five, but he's still good. If we're talking offense only, he's still up there. You know, he's seven feet tall. He has that high release point with his jump shot. Good luck stopping him. You saw how ineffective a guy like Javante Green was today. And Javante, good defender. Good, good lateral quickness, good bounce. He'll get in your face, but he just ain't. He's six foot four. He can't do nothing with Kevin Durant when Kevin Durant is feeling it like that. So it was another game where defensively, the Bulls were giving up way too many open threes, and this is a problem for the Bulls. This has been every single game this year. You know, it dates back. I mean, I remember the Pacers game. I said the Bulls are the only people on planet Earth who don't realize that Buddy Hield can shoot the shit out of the ball. Then it was the Spurs game. Bulls are the only team on earth that don't realize Keldon Johnson can shoot the shit out of the ball. And then you look at this game. I mean, Joe Harris, he didn't really 
He didn't really kill the Bulls today. You know, he's working his way back from his injury. Still, you could tell he wasn't really moving right out there. He was 2 of 7, but all 7 of those were wide open. And Joe Harris, when he's right, he can shoot the shit out of the ball. And you would think the Bulls didn't know that because they were just leaving him wide open for those shots. And even Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie is usually a very good shooter. He went 0-6 tonight, and a lot of those were wide open looks. So the Bulls, they really escaped with one tonight. You know, you saw that little scare in the first quarter when Patty Mills came on and he just torched the Bulls because the Bulls give up wide open threes and Patty Mills is not a dude you can leave wide open. And it's going to be a problem for the Bulls this year. Um, They're just not good at extending. They don't understand how to extend their defense out and uh, close out on these shooters. You know, they overhelp when guys drive to the hoop and that leaves wide open corner threes. The Bulls have to be the league's leader in giving up open corner threes. You're seeing it way too much. So that's still a red flag that the Bulls need to shore up if they want to really compete with some of these top-end teams. Because these top-end teams, that's how they fill out their roster. They fill out their roster with guys who are known for hitting the open three. We go out and we play Miami, or not Miami, if we go out and we play Milwaukee and we're giving Patrick Connaughton, Grayson Allen, um, you know, even George Hill, you know, these corner threes, those are the shots they're known for. Miami, P.J. Tucker, known for his corner three. Like these are the shots, or not Miami, that's Philadelphia, sorry. I was thinking of last year, but Philadelphia, we saw that when we played Philadelphia. They gave up a bunch of corner threes to P.J. Tucker. So all these teams out here, all these top-level teams in the East, they fill themselves with corner three-point shooters because they're counting on you overextending when their star player has a path to the hoop and leaving that corner three wide open. And the Bulls, they make it too easy for these teams. They give up way too many corner threes. That's something that's still going to need to be shored up. Um, We already talked about Patrick Williams tonight, but... We just got to, games like this, we just got to give him even more props because he's, you know, he still gets a lot of hate on social media from people who call themselves Bulls fans, but the kid looked good tonight, and we saw a little more of his bag. We didn't just see the jump shooting, the one dribble pull-ups or anything like that. Uh, He had that play in the second quarter where he backed the dude down and hit that turnaround jump shot, Kobe style over him. You got to love seeing Patrick Williams do stuff like that. He saw him attacking the glass hard. He was getting in his bag tonight, so... Big ups to Pat Williams. I thought that was by far his best game of the year. But piggybacking off that, what was Billy's rotation tonight, man? I did not understand what he was doing with the rotation. Because Patrick Williams, he ended up with 32 minutes, so I guess it all worked out. But there were long stretches of the game where you were like, where's Patrick Williams? Like the, uh, I believe to start the second quarter, Patrick Williams was in there. And uh, he was playing good. He was kind of keeping the Bulls in it. And then after three minutes, they yanked him. And he was their best player on the court at that point. It's like, why did you just yank this guy? He was keeping us in this game. And then you saw the Nets go on a little bit of a run after that. So Billy's rotations have been all over the place this year. You know, he's still trying to figure out how he's going to work these four minutes between Pat, Javante, and DJJ. And now Drummond's out, so he's trying to figure out when he's going to throw guys at the five. Um, we saw a little bit of the DJJ and Patrick Williams line up in the front court tonight. I like those two together, especially a team like the Nets that don't have that size. I wish we would have seen just a little bit more out of that. Um, DJJ, he played 16 minutes tonight. Javante only got 14 minutes, and we're kind of seeing that a little bit. Is DJJ is kind of overtaking Javante in this rotation right now just because he offers a little more length, a little more defensive versatility, Um, He's better on the help defense. Javante is the better on-ball defender, better at playing the passing lanes for sure. Instant energy, crash the offensive glass. 
But DJJ, he's a good weak side help defender when it comes to blocking shots, and he's always crashing the offensive glass, always looking for lob opportunities. You saw that one that Dragas threw to him that almost uh, he almost took Kyrie's head off if Kyrie didn't follow him. But it was uh, it was an interesting game rotation wise. You know, a lot of a lot of questionable decisions. I thought we should have seen a little more Caruso. I thought he played big. A little more Dragic. He Dragic played amazing. We can we can talk about Dragic. You know, 15 points off the bench for us. Four for six from three. When Dragic is stretching the court like this, the Bulls are going to be a very tough team to beat. You know, shooting was a big problem for the Bulls last year. They really struggled to hit threes. Dragic adds that to this team. You saw him. It wasn't just open threes he was making. He made two of them off the dribble, coming off screens. That adds a whole different uh, element to this team. So it's good to see Dragic out there making threes. Part of the problem with the Bulls, though, when it comes to making threes, is they pass up so many open shots. You saw so many instances this game of guys just playing hot potato on the perimeter, passing up open shots, overpassing. You know, I thought DeMar weirdly was overpassing in this game. There were a couple times where it looked like he was taking it to the hoop and he would jump in the air like he was going in strong, and then he's flipping it out to the uh, to the three-point line to the open shooter, a guy who really wasn't even that open. And we saw that multiple times out of him, and usually DeMar is uh, is going to the hoop looking to finish. So I don't know what was going on with him tonight. He didn't quite look right. We saw little stretches where he got right, where he got in the post, he got in that mid-range area, and he made shots. But I don't know, he just mentally, like, it didn't seem like he was fully in this game at certain points. But, you know, it's one game out of 82, so we can give DeMar a little bit of a pass on that at the end of the day. We got the win, and his stats aren't bad by any means, you know. He finished with uh, 20 points. The shooting is a little, you know, he went 8 for 21, not the best. We saw him make a 3, you know, 1 to 2 of 3. The free throws, though, that's where I'm thinking, you know, DeMar, something wasn't right with him today because he only attempted 3 free throws, and that's incredibly low for DeMar DeRozan. And then when you take into account the times he was driving to the hoop, getting up in the air, and just passing it out instead of going hard to the hoop and hoping to draw the foul, I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it, but one thing you could say about DeMar and this whole team is they were pretty active on defense. You know, there was a lot of overextension and a lot of giving guys open threes or leaving the cutters open to the basket, but you did see a lot of steals out of this team. I mean, they had seven steals and all of them came from the starters. DeMar went ahead, he got two. Uh, Ayo DeSumo was amazing. He got three of them. Then you got Patrick Williams and Vucevic adding them in too. And you saw a lot of the times too, they got their hand on the ball. There were a lot of deflections. I think they're the top rated team in deflections this year. I know Caruso led the league in deflections coming into this game. And you saw him get a couple in this game as well. But they were kind of flying everywhere on the passing lanes. And that's that's what it's going to take on defense for this team. The on-ball defense is still suspect with a lot of these guys. But if they can pressure and play the passing lanes, um, the risks are going to lead to open threes and open cutters. But sometimes they're going to pay off. And when they do pay off, they just got to get out on the break and run the ball down these teams' throats. So um, fourth quarter, Zach Levine, though, you know, we can spend we can spend a long minute talking about fourth quarter, Zach Levine, man. So Zach Levine, I'm worried about him. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm a little worried about him. We're still not seeing above the rim Zach Levine. He doesn't look comfortable when he's going to the hoop right now. He doesn't look like he's planting with the intention of throwing down on anyone's head. He's not planting and going up aggressively. He looks, you know, I'm not saying he's scared to go up in the air, but he's definitely hesitating to go up in the air. So that tells me he's not 100% comfortable 
with his knee right now. And with the amount of knee injuries he's had and knee surgeries he's had now, I don't know. This I've been saying it the last couple of podcasts. This might just be a different point of Zach Levine's career. You know, we might be done with above the rim Zach Levine. We might still see it in flashes, you know, breakaway dunks, that sort of thing. But we have seen zero above the rim plays from Zach Levine this year. And that was something I know a lot of Bulls fans were hoping to get back. Because when, you know, two years ago, the year before we got DeMar DeRozan, before we made the Vooch trade, Zach Levine was on a tear when he made his first All-Star game. Um, and we were seeing the full bag. We were seeing the threes, the handle, the uh, the mid-range jump shots, taking it to the hoop, dunking on people's heads. And it's been a long time since we've seen that. I don't know if we're going to see that. But on the bright side, even if he if that part of his career is over, you know, that might worry some guys, but I think a game like tonight proves that even if we don't get above the rim Zach Levine anymore, we're still getting a very good basketball player. You saw what he did in the fourth quarter, 20 points in the fourth quarter. The man went nuts. You saw the range on his jump shot. You saw the handle. His handle has gotten so much better the last couple of years. It's amazing. He had an all-around game, 29-4-5. and five. The best part to me is he played 37 minutes tonight. That's a big load to put on him. He went 10 of 21 from the field, 5 of 11 from three. That's 45%. I said before the year, if Zach Levine is shooting eight threes a game, this team is going to be in a beautiful position, and he's shooting more than that this year. So um, games like this, you know, he still got to the line four times, but if above the rim Zach Levine, if that stage of his career is over, but he plays like this instead, that's okay. The Bulls are still getting a top five shooting guard at that point, you know, it's not what we all were expecting out of him. You know, the fan in us wants to see those crazy dunks on top of people. But this might be a more efficient and better player when he's playing like this. And certainly it's a player that's going to last a lot longer. So I'm not saying we got to right above the rim Zach Levine all the way off yet. You know, maybe he just needs 10 more games or so to really get his conditioning down and get comfortable with that knee. But I'm just saying the signs are there that, that that he might be moving into a different stage of his career now. So we should all get used to it. And if this is the type of game we're going to get out of him, that's fine by me because I thought he was amazing tonight. Unfortunately, we got another back-to-back. I don't know why the NBA schedule is fucking us like this early in the year. I mean, we're two weeks into the season. This is our third back-to-back. That seems insane to me. There's some teams who haven't even played one back-to-back yet. It's against the Hornets. I doubt Zach Levine plays tomorrow. In fact, I would be... I'd be shocked if Zach Levine plays tomorrow. Let's just say it right now. Zach Levine ain't going to play tomorrow. Let's just get that out of the way. He played 37 minutes tonight. He said he's going to sit out one of the back-to-back games. So we're not seeing Zach Levine tomorrow night. Luckily, it's against the Charlotte Hornets. So the Bulls should be able to uh, to handle business. But we can wrap this podcast up just talking about Ayo Desumu. Man, we're going to have to pay that boy this, this offseason. That man is about to get paid this offseason. He was fan fantastic tonight 17 points three rebounds four assists three steals you know the numbers don't jump off but when you watch him I mean I was watching the first quarter with my little brother who uh he knows basketball but he's not quite plugged into the Bulls so he was like damn Iota Sumo is is locking Kyrie up like he's making him work for it I was like yeah man that's what Iota does now Bulls fans what we need to do is you remember last year when Io totally locked up Trey Young, and then we we went nuts with it, we made it a thing. We can't do that with this one, man, because then Trey Young came back and he torched Io. He torched everybody on the Bulls. He had like 37, 38 points that game, and he made Bulls fans shut the fuck up 
So let's let's take this with a you know a little grain of salt, a little humility. You know, great job by Io, but I don't need to see memes about Io the Kyrie stopper. Oh my God, Io, great! To, like he is a great defender, but we don't need to pop off at the mouth about it and create a whole you know Twitter thing about it and have Kyrie coming back later this year when they're playing at the United Center and drop fifty on Io's head because he's pissed off hearing this shit all year. So. Just think about that in the next 24 hours, Bulls Nation. Like, let's not do that again to Io last year. We fucked around and found out last year with Trey Young. Let's not fuck around and find out this year with Kyrie Irving. But Io was amazing tonight on the offensive end. His layup is unblockable. Like, when he takes it hard to the hoop like that, there were two or three of them where Claxton was on his ass, and I thought it was getting packed off the glass. But something about not only... The speed he has getting to the hoop, but the speed he has in his jump. Like, he gets from the ground to the apex of his jump quick. It's a it's a weird thing. And then just the way he's able to frame and lay the ball high off the glass. Like, his layup, it's kind of unblockable. It's very rare that you see that thing get blocked. And it's fun to watch when he's playing downhill like that. Um, on offense, he, he looked good. He looked aggressive. He's at his best when he's aggressive. So this offseason, man, the Bulls are going to have to back up the Brinks truck. They better... They better match whatever offer comes Io's way. He's going to be a restricted free agent this offseason. Teams are going to be able to make offers. Teams are going to make offers. I mean, you look around the league, how many teams would love to have a player like Io DeSumo? Because he's he's uh, malleable. You can put him wherever you need. He can be a point guard. He can be a shooting guard. He can guard a bunch of different positions. He's six foot four. He has long arms. You know, he's one of those dudes. He can touch his kneecaps without bending over. He's he's just a long athletic dude. And the Bulls need to pay that type of dude because when we get Lonzo back and we're able to run these three-guard lineups with Lonzo, Io, and Caruso out there handling the passing lanes, like that's going to be a problem for a lot of these teams. And Lonzo, for as many injuries as he's had, at the end of the day, he's still only 25 years old. So we need to make sure we're building around him properly and keeping a young guy like Io and letting him blossom in the role of both Lonzo's backup and his sidekick, that's going to be huge. So this offseason, if Io keeps playing like this, he's going to get most improved player of the year, or at least be in the running for it, at least finish top three. And you're already seeing around the NBA. You know, I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast last week, and they are breaking down the East. And when the Bulls came up, Io DeSumo was the first thing he brought up. So you're seeing national media take a take a look at this kid and start to notice this kid, and we're going to see a lot more of that. So overall... For tonight's game this was an impressive game it was a good victory the Bulls had to dig deep um, they had to overcome a lot you know they had to overcome what was a very good Kevin Durant game and was on its way to being a legendary Kevin Durant game to be honest Billy made some nice adjustments in the second half um, I know I shit on Billy a lot I don't think he's a bad coach you know there's some people on Twitter who will be telling you Billy Donovan is a horrible coach I don't think he's a bad coach I don't think he's a great coach I don't think he's a championship level coach you know we're not talking about Phil Jackson or Greg Popovich here um, but I don't think he's a bad coach I think he's a good coach I think he's a serviceable coach Uh, I think he needs to get better at making adjustments and we saw that tonight he made an adjustment at halftime Kevin Durant was slowed in the second half he still made some big shots but he's Kevin Durant that's what he's gonna do and um, the Bulls were able to come away with a victory so this is a game that I feel like last year's team wasn't gonna win you know they were gonna get down and last year's team probably would have been down 20 at one point in the second quarter when the Nets were really making their run and Kevin Durant couldn't miss. You know, that last year's team, they would have been down. They wouldn't have came back. This year's team showing a lot more grittiness, a lot more toughness, a lot more pride. There's a lot. You watch these games. The Bulls are a proud team. 
and it makes you proud as a fan. You know, as fans, we kind of fall into this trap, and it's one of the things in fandom that bothers me the most is we fall into this trap where it's championship or bust, where if your team isn't winning the championship, you treat it like they won 10 games that year, and I don't, I don't jive with that. I mean, I like watching a team like the Bulls that's proud, that's going to fight every night. You know, they might not win every night. We've seen games where they didn't win, but they clawed their way back and they made it a close game despite being down, you know, 15, 20 at one point. And that's the type of team I want to root for, you know. Do I think the Bulls can win a championship this year? Realistically, no. Do I think that they can continue to play their ass off, you know, make a push for a top five, top four seed in the East, and maybe if some injuries break their way, they can make a run? Absolutely. And, you know, coming off, what was it, five years between the last Bulls playoff team to last year's team, you know, coming off that, those were dark times. I'm just happy to root for a competitive team again, a team like this that has pride, that is able to fight. You know, as fun as last year's team was, by the end, they lost all their fight. They lost all their confidence. When they went down, you knew they were going to stay down. And that was hard as a fan to watch. This year's team, when they go down, they don't stay down. When they get knocked down, they don't just stay down there. They fight back. They get up and they fight back. And that's fun to watch. So Bulls fans, you know, appreciate what we have. Because there's a lot of fan bases. They don't They don't have this right now. Like the Sacramento Kings, if they have any fans left, they would fucking kill for a team like this. That's just making a playoff push. That's just fighting every game, game in and game out, making that push. So... You know, a lot of Bulls fans, they're kind of they're kind of cynical, and they like to look at it as glass half empty. Let's just keep it a little more positive, man, and appreciate the fight that this team shows. It makes it fun to root for. It makes them fun to cheer for. If they don't win a championship, at least they're getting in the right steps as a direction to get that respect and bring, you know, prestige back to the Chicago Bulls franchise name. You know, this, is a, this should be a proud franchise, a historical franchise. It's still the number one selling franchise gear-wise across the country thanks to what Michael Jordan did 30 years for the 30 years ago for them so you know it's it's good to see a team like this that can make that legacy proud that can make that heritage proud so a game like tonight lots of fun to watch just see them come back and battle and beat one of the best players in the NBA Kevin Durant definitely one of the best players in the NBA was in his bag tonight and the Bulls still pulled away with a victory so we'll be back tomorrow night against the Charlotte Hornets you know I'm not going to call it an easy win because there's no easy wins in uh, in the NBA. And I just watched Charlotte the other night on League Pass against the Kings. And they got a little more spark, a little more, you know, gumption to them than you'd anticipate. So I'll have a preview for that for that game coming on uh, my social media pages on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, Bloody Horns Podcast. So give that a follow if you could. And uh, we'll have a post-game pod coming on that too. Make sure you guys aren't just listening to this podcast you're uh, subscribing to it, you're rating it, you're sending it to your fellow Bulls fans. Let's get, let's try to grow this community a little bit more. Let's spread a little more positivity through this community. And I'll catch you guys tomorrow for the, for the uh, Charlotte Hornets. Bloody Horns podcast out.